Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. We're going to be talking about failed adoption matches and adoption disruptions. So regarding the the financial aspect, because that is where a lot of families feel like they can regain some control over the loss, you know, the financial aspect. They can't they can't change the birth mom's mind. They can't make, you know, her follow through on her adoption plan. But financially, they can keep themselves from taking you know, such a loss. And so that's where they try to regain some control to maybe make them feel like they're not at a, at a total loss of control. We don't deviate from our contract. You know, the, our, the law firm that we use has repeatedly instructed us to make sure that we stay in sync with it. Because if you do something for one family, then you open yourself up to doing that for other families. And then that negates the purpose of a contractual agreement. Right. And it's it is in essence opening that Pandora's box, you know, for all kinds of problems and explaining to the family, as I've said it before, what goes into the financial aspects of an adoption, even when a birth mother changes her mind, it still is hard for them to grasp and, and process. So oftentimes they will talk with their adoptive parent youth manager. And when they don't receive the resolution that they're trying to, they will reach out to me or Adam Scary, who's the director of operations. So let's hear from him. Okay. So Adam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I was talking um, right before you joined us about how when adoptive families have a failed match or they have an adoption disruption, that they first speak with their adoptive uh, parent case manager and they talk about their how upset they are and about we talk about how financially is the one thing that they feel is in the realm of control that they actually have some type of control over. They can't control the mom not placing the baby. They can't control her changing her mind. But in trying to gather some control back in their mind, that they will often target the financial aspects. And when they don't get the answer they want from the adopted parent case manager, it escalates to you or I. And oftentimes you uh, will take the lead on, on speaking with those families. And you know what does that look like? 
and and how do you help them find peace in a very unpeaceful situation? I think just to go back for a minute, I think it's important to know that if adoption is anything, it's a sacred trust. You know, from the time we meet with her at the time of intake to the dozen or so legal documents that she signs at the time of intake to her signing a letter of intent stating that she's completely committed to the process and stating as much in an affidavit of accuracy, affirming that, you know, she is giving us 100% accurate, truthful information. Um, in addition to the dozen documents that she signs that day and subsequently that, you know, outline the legal ramifications of providing false or misleading information. Adoption is a sacred trust. We, we trust the client is going to be honest that she came to us with good intentions. Uh, we trust the family is going to honor their end of the legal agreement, and they are trusting us to do everything we can to uh, move the process forward with a positive outcome. I think with that being said, the process of adoption or bringing uh, adoption, just the, the possibility of an adoption, you're dealing with the two most uh, emotionally charged topics, and that's people's children or potential children and their resources, their hard-earned money. And so unfortunately, when you're talking to a family who's had a disruption, you're talking about two emotionally charged subjects that you're bringing together simultaneously in a negative context, unfortunately. And I think there's some things that adopting families forget, not intentionally, just they forget just as a result of the process. And one of them is it's going to be a bitter pill to swallow no matter how you slice it when you try to accept a zero return on your investment. It was Daniel Kahneman who coined the phrase loss aversion. And so the whole idea of loss aversion is that according to his findings, losses loom larger than gains. If I find $100, it produces a certain level of excitement. If I lose an actual $100 of my money, it produces twice the negative impact, twice the emotional turmoil. And I just think these families don't realize that when you, uh, when you don't go into the process saying this is a, this is, they're setting the stage for the possibility, but not the probability. We are creating a forum by which an adoption can take place, but there is no likelihood. There is no hedging your bets or rolling the dice or asking, you know, what are your success ratings? Ultimately, it comes down to one of two things. Either the client is going to do it or she's not going to do it. Either she was being truthful and honest or she was being deceptive. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's other factors that weigh in when you're talking with a family. I think one of them is they forget that this is a shared risk. Uh, the agency is very much emotionally invested, financially invested, uh, physically invested, mentally invested in the process. And uh, it is a, it is a tr- tremendous toll on our case managers, our case aides, the staff at large when a disruption occurs. I've, I've been on the phone uh, with uh, an employee and had them completely and totally break down, sobbing the most genuine, grievous tears that just that were wrought by the situation at large, just the the trauma of the, of the circumstances. Um, it's very hard to talk to an adopting family who is dealing with loss aversion and trying to uh, get them to process, you know, the seismic loss, whether it's emotional, financial, spiritual, or all of the above. But you have to, they have to at some point understand the agency is also a business. And that's very hard for them to grasp. Uh, sometimes they will make the statement to me, you know, well, you have my money. Well, in all actuality, our overhead has your money. The landlord has your money. The utility company has your money. 
the uh, vehicle payments that we pay to transport clients has, you know, I am not sitting on, on some cash cow or beer resources over here with a casual laissez-faire nonchalance about the disruption. You know, we have an overhead and we pay, we're nonprofit, but it's still, uh, you know, we still have uh, our expenses uh, that are definitely mitigating factors uh, along with, uh, you know, the, the idea of unilateral consideration. Oftentimes family will, they under, I, I get this email often. I understand that we signed a contract and we get that. However, or but, or with that being said, and what they're asking for me to do is show uh, partiality toward their circumstance. And oftentimes they, you know, some people have a situation where they used money from an inheritance to fund an adoption. Some of them, uh, it was beans and rice for a decade. Either way, I, I am not in a position to favor one person's disruption over another and say, well, because you make a good case or you are more emotional or you seem more attached to the process, uh, we can give you 10000 back or five, just some indiscriminate amount. Really, what they're trying to do is they're trying to minimize their loss on their, on their investment. And that is by far the hardest thing. I, I hate when a family will call me so close to the disruption and want to talk money because money is not really the issue. The issue is their mental wellness. The issue is, is how they're going to process grief and keep their marriage together, how they're going to process uh, grief that comes in tidal waves, uh, that first wave feeling like a tsunami smashing into the shoreline, just grief that they have no real coping skills for, calculating the monetary loss. I mean, in real dollars and cents, you know, and sometimes I, I have to mentally withdraw myself from that process and say, you know, if you do IVF, which the average uh, on a national level between 12 and 20,000 a cycle for in vitro fertilization, uh, and you, you go through a couple cycles and it doesn't take, or you miscarry, you do not get the liberty to walk back into the doctor's office and begin to grill his staff or tell him it didn't take. So because the outcome wasn't desirous, I want my money back. And that's the hardest part of the process is you are funding an agency investment in an individual who you only know what that individual disclosed. And, you know, we will address red flags as they come up, but we do not hunt for them. You know, you run a tremendous risk when you uh, insinuate that an honest person is being dishonest or, you know, just you, um, you pry and you meddle and then you are responsible for everything that you could have found had you continued to hunt in we don't do that. We, we've had too many successful placements to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated process. There's no, uh, there's no two ways about it. Oftentimes, they will go from grief to full-blown anger based on my inability to manipulate the terms of their contract. And they're very upset. And there's, unfortunately, um, that's why we do have contracts, you know, Prior to really jumping into the process and matching them with a the mom, we have to have a contractual agreement that at no, no juncture states that we are going to guarantee an outcome. It's impossible. You're dealing with humans' free will. Uh, there's, just, there's no way to override a human's free will. I can't make somebody place. I can't coerce them. We, we have too much integrity as an agency to do that. Um, we can't try to manipulate them or their will. Because really what you're doing is just jeopardizing the outcome of the, the adoption down the road when you do that, when you leverage the short term versus the long term. And it's not legal. 
Well, I mean, that's but integrity is the is the threshold, not really what's legal and illegal. We had a, a county assessor who just spent a decade, you know, drawing girls in from the Marshall Islands under what he believed was legal technicalities. Well, his real issue, his real crime was a lack of integrity because you don't need the bar to be set here. So you would really integrity will take you above the bar. We do things differently. Um, we will, we will speak with moms, you know, from the time Kelly talks to them on the phone and sets their intake, we will speak with them in the first week or two. Kelly will call and introduce herself or they will face to face prior to COVID and she'll, you know, she'll do the best she can to vet the situation without making the mom feel, uh, gruel. You know, there's a grueling, um, a grilling process. And then, you know, we manage them intensively, uh, but we don't parent them. There are people who would like us to, but we just, there's an issue of, uh, of adaptability when you start to make them think that if they give you the answers you want, then you know, satiate your curiosity with specific answers that you'll go away. You know, oftentimes just as you let them work through the process, red flags come out and we address them and we've had to drop girls from the program prior to match. And at that point, we've suffered 100% risk. Our return on investment is also zero. Man, well-spoken, Adam. Every time <laughs> I love having you on the show because you just always put these things together and they make sense. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, if I could just close with an interesting testimony that I, I've shared numerous times with um, adopting families. And it's, uh, it's, it's true the 40th time I repeated as it is the first time. Uh, when I was at the NCFA conference two years ago in uh, Washington, D.C., I met a woman there who worked for an agency, and oftentimes you have time just to chit-chat, and so she was telling me about, you know, she'd asked me about our disruption rates, and I thought she was an adopting parent at the time wanting to inquire about adopting again, and uh, she said, yeah, I, I know all too well. She said, we had four disruptions in a row, back-to-back, back-to-back. Thankfully, they were not with our agency, um, but, uh, and I asked her, I said, how did you process that you put all that energy and all those resources into adoption and had very little to show for it? And she said, well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. She said, the way I look at it was somewhat different. She said, I did not look at it as I had very little to show for it. She said, if you could imagine in a generation where abortion is legal in almost every state, up to the third trimester, she said, I look at it as I was probably the one who saved those children from abortion. I spared them. They're alive. I gave them the right to life because I funded that mom who was homeless. I gave her a place. That baby lived in a hotel room and not uh, under the elements of a park bench because of me. That baby had better food because of me. That baby got to go see a doctor because of me. I actually gave that child the right to life. In heaven, I'm sure she said, I... I will, there'll be some of the first kids I meet uh, are those because I, I made a difference. She said, I may not be able to raise them, but I saved them in a way. And I thought, what a masterful, brilliant take on a disruption. What a, an incredibly humbling uh, experience it was for me to meet somebody who had already sorted out. I can go through another disruption Because ultimately, to me, all it means is I may not get to raise that child long term, but I got to intercept that child at its most vulnerable stage. And I thought, man, if people could look at it like that, there is something profound to that. And I remember the first time I shared that story, I shared that story with an adopting family who had already had their second disruption. They were broken. They were devastated. 
uh, and they handled it like absolute troopers. They were a brilliant couple. And then I remember it was a couple of weeks before Christmas. They called me back and said, um, we, she, I remember she shouted in the phone to me, we are parents. And I said, what? Is this so-and-so? And she said, yes. She said, we forgot that we put our profile in with another agency in Florida who had a safe haven baby. And they got a little boy named Henry who is absolutely custom tailored fit for their family. He's an absolutely priceless addition. And I look back to the photos. It's been nine months now of the photos of uh, little Henry. And I thought there is a divine providence that makes sure that you end up with the child that you were supposed to have. There really is. Uh, and uh, this woman actually adopted first. She adopted twins on her fifth attempt. This woman at the NCFA said my fifth attempt was a set of twins. And one was a biochemist and one was a geologist. Brilliant minds. And one of them worked for NASA. And I thought, I mean, how, how do you script this? You're taking the rawest of emotion uh, combined with the most sensitive subjects and you throw it into a, in a tumbler. And you hope that there's enough friction to rub the rough edges off as opposed to causing those elements to slam together and crack. And it's just, it's a, it's a journey, man. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in the same one hour span on a, with one telephone call in between to go from the depths of despondency to the absolute echelon of uh, emotional uh, satiation and excitement with one phone call. I got that phone call. I had to go step aside. I was, I was a mess in the bathroom. Uh, it's, uh, it's a powerful process, man. This, this is uh, real life and real resources and it's really raw and it's a lot harder than people think it is. They say as a social worker, you have to have three elements that I believe are true. And I believe it's true when you're dealing with any aspect of humanity, you have to have the heart of a child, the mind of a scholar and the height of a rhino. And it's true. Man, what a story. I, I'm i just, you know, it's funny because you talked about how their careers, obviously they're smart people, but beyond that, they have a certain wisdom that doesn't come from book smarts and from college and learning. You know, it's a knowledge of self that just is incredible. So, wow, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines. <laughs>